This morning, before we kind of get into what we're going to look at today, I just want to revisit for a few moments uh, some things that are helpful for us when talking about what we're going to talk about today. And sometimes it's good to go back to the basics. Sometimes it's good to revisit the elementary principles so that we can build on them and go a little further and learn. And this morning, I just want to explore with you just a few little points here about the basics of the Christian faith and what it means to live and follow Jesus. The Bible teaches us very clearly that if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to live for Jesus, the Bible says this in Romans 10, 9, verse that we love, we quote, we say it, and it's one that we give when we're talking about coming to the faith, and that's Romans 10, 9, that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's the basics. Confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead. And likewise, Ephesians teaches us here, and I'm just throwing you some verses you can read them later just to kind of summarize the basics here today. That when you and I heard the word of truth and that when we believed the word of truth, the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 1.13 that the gospel of when you've heard it, when you believed it, in him we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does that mean? A seal is like when you and I uh, get a package and there is tape across it. The tape is a sign that that package has not been opened. It's been sealed. And when you get the package and it looks like maybe there's some paper missing from underneath. Uh oh, this thing's been opened before. Right. We send it back. We have a problem. That's a whole nother story. But the point is this, and in the biblical context, it was a seal. It was a marking on a scroll to know that this has not been opened. This has come. It's a sign of the authority's approval upon it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us as believers, is that this, the Holy Spirit, as we believe, is a seal. It's a guarantee that you and I, we believe in the Lord Jesus. And so we've been marked by the Holy Spirit. And then now comes another step. That is often overlooked in the Christian life, especially in Western modern Christianity, is this thought is how do I live for Jesus every day of my life? How do I do it? How do I do it? How do I live for Jesus? I believe in him. I, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe God raised him from the dead. I've surrendered him my life. But. What do I do in two weeks from now when things get a little hard and there's a temptation in front of me and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to fall and mess up over and over and over again. It becomes hard. What do we do? How do we handle the fleshly desires that are lurking beneath the surface before, uh, before our lives were transformed? How do we handle those fleshly desires that still seem to remain a little bit and become instead uprooted and transformed? And the Bible teaches us about this today. And really, this has been a question that the history of the church has been trying to answer for a long time. 
And really, it's been an error of the history of the church. They've tried to go down many different rabbit trails and figure out, how do I live for Jesus every day? How do I live righteous and holy and pleasing unto the Lord? And so there's been all of the, the past thousands of, a couple thousand years of church history, there's been these detours of people trying to live for Jesus through means that God did not intend. Some have thought that if they, in the earliest believers, they thought that if they did enough good works, that that would somehow outweigh all the bad stuff that they did on a regular basis. They soon discovered that wasn't the answer. Others thought if I was going to live for Jesus and I was going to live all my life surrendered for him, that what I should do instead, others have thought this, this is, this is real church history, you can look it up. They thought if I'll just escape society, and I'll go live as a monk and isolated in a community of people who are isolated from society, that way I'll be free from the temptations of the world. But they soon found that it doesn't matter how far away from culture, society you get, you still got to wrestle with the person in the mirror. Early Pentecostals thought that if they wanted to be holy, that they could establish a set of rules to help people into holiness, coerce them into holiness. Rules such as don't go to the movies, where, 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 make sure that you're covered up head to toe and all you can see is your eyes. Make sure that you are living in a way where you don't go bowling, you don't do this thing, you don't do that thing. It was the list of rules of that topped all of the list of rules because the Pentecostal movement was built on the holiness movement. And it was all about how can we live holy for the Lord? But yet they soon realized, and many Pentecostal leaders soon realized that living for holy for the Lord, that didn't work, it failed. And as a matter of fact, many Pentecostals believe that that led to a generation departing from the faith. All of these failed, all of these ideas and thoughts about how to live for Jesus every day failed. And you'll notice that there's a common thread among all of them. They all tried to do it in their own measure and their own accord and their own being and their own help. And even today, this is the struggle of many believers today that that I can live for Jesus every day. And there's this misconstrued thought that says, if I will just go to church on a regular basis, and if I'll just do church life, then somehow that will mean that I'm living for Jesus every day. But you'll soon discover that going to church and doing church does not make you the church. That make you being the church is different from doing church. And this is what's created the problem that we often have today is a misconstrued thinking of what church is. It's the, mis I, the misconception that you and I are the church. So what is the answer? There's got to be an answer to this. And here's what I'm going to tell you today. The answer is so simple. And I love that about the Bible. The Bible is not set out to make things complicated for you and I. The Bible is not given to make life harder for us as Christians. The Bible is given so that you and I might live for Jesus simply. But somehow the simple answer was not enough for some people. And so there's been all these other detours throughout the history of the church. And the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to tell you this verse before we read our next one. 
The Bible teaches us that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and he told them very directly because they're having some problems among themselves. They've been having some disputes and he tells them very clearly. He says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, that word dwells there is a wonderful word that means basically they've, they've got a bed in that place. They're living there. It's not a visit. It's not an occasional, let me see how things are going. No, they've, they've put decorations up on the wall. They've made it their own. They've got the fridge stocked with what they like. It's an idea of that person lives there. And so Paul reminds the believers, and it's a reminder for us today, that you and I are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that word temple is not a word that is likened to just a house. That word is a set apart for a temple. It is the living place of God, the dwelling place of God. And when you begin to think about that for a moment, that is a part scary thought and a part of a wonderful thought to think that God's holy presence, God himself is desiring to live and dwell within us. But what is the missing link? And so this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And the question is this, is anybody home? Is anybody home? Oftentimes in the spiritual Christian life that we live, we go through this process. It's a journey. You'll, you'll hear me say that over and over again. The Christian life is a journey. And a journey is intended to learn from a lesson and keep going. Learn from a setback and keep going. That's what the Christian life is intended to be. But the Christian life was not intended to be done in our own measure, in our own accord. The Christian life was intended to be done by the one who is dwelling at home inside of us, the one who has made his residence there, the dwelling place, the Holy Spirit. It's he is not. We are not intended to do all of the Christian life in our own measure, in our own court. And if you begin to think about it, how can I love somebody with my own fleshly desires? You can't. How can I have peace apart from the Holy Spirit? You can't. It just makes sense that God would send his Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we might live the Christian life. But oftentimes there are many people in the Christian world that resort to letting the home and the temple of the place, the dwelling place of God sit vacant and instead try to do it in all of their own measure, own accord. But they somehow find it frustrating, difficult. They find themselves wrestling with things that they've always been wrestling with, never being able to overcome. And it's the, it's the sign of trying to do it in our own strength and our own measure. And so this morning, I want you to go with me to John chapter 16 and verse 8, where Jesus teaches about the coming of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, Jesus talks, about, to, talks to his followers about the Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit, may we never forget it. The Holy Spirit is not just some mystical thing that's out there. No, the Holy Spirit is God Almighty, three in one. May we never misinterpret that. The Bible shows us very clearly he is God. This is why Jesus said when he was speaking to his followers, it is good that I go away because when I go away, the comforter will come and he will be with you and he will be in you. Jesus showed us the assurance that we have through the Holy Spirit. And so he begins to teach a little bit more about what the spirit would do when he comes. 
John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin. And that phrase right there, he will prove the world wrong, depending on the translation of the Bible you're using. Some will say he will correct, he will convict, or he will reprove the world. Wrong about sin, about righteousness and judgment. He says about sin because they do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the father and you will see me no longer about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. And he even goes on to tell them, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Jesus knew this was going to be a starting place. And this is a starting place for all of us today in the journey of the Christian life is that God has promised us the Holy Spirit to come and do this thing right here called reproving, correcting, convicting. And oftentimes in our culture today, we've taken that word to mean, it's a, to being very harshly, convict. And we've almost misinterpreted this word to say he will condemn us. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts and working through us. The Holy Spirit, this word really means this, is that he is pointing out He's demonstrating the things inside of us, helping us recognize the wrongdoing that's lying beneath so that we might grow from it, so that we might go on beyond that. So we see here, he's, called, he's come, he's going to show us what's wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And now all of this brings us to the next verse we're going to read here this morning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. So Paul writing to the church in Galatians, once again, you'll notice that Paul writes a lot about the spirit and he tells, uh, you'll notice there's a theme too in all the churches that he writes about the spirit. They are struggling. They're struggling desperately. They're either struggling with sin. They're struggling with the mishandling of law and grace, or they're struggling with some other type of immorality going on in their midst. And Paul always brings it back to this right here. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Notice what he says. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Later on, Paul says in that chapter, Keep in step with the Spirit. And this is what I want to leave you, this kind of this main point here today as we look at this further, is that Christian living, all of us here today, if we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christian living is intended to be done in partnership with ongoing personal encounters with the Holy Spirit. That's how it's intended to be. It's not intended to be Wake up tomorrow morning. Let me try harder to live right. That's not the way God intended it to be. And can I say something for all of us? Thank you, Jesus. Because if I had to try harder tomorrow, guess what? We would all fail. We would all fail. 
Christian living is intended to be in partnership with ongoing personal encounters with the Holy Spirit. Why does that? Why is that the case? Because the Bible teaches us here, as we just read in John chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit, he says that he will come. The spirit or really the word that is used there is paraclete, which means he's an advocate, which means that he is working on your behalf. He's helping you. That's really what the basis of that word means. The Holy Spirit, our helper, he's helping us, working, and he is coming inside of us and showing us, reproving, convicting, showing all the things, bringing it to the surface, all the things that of wrongdoing and helping us come to the point of recognizing, oh, thank you, Jesus, something is wrong in me and that needs to get out of me. And then you'll notice here today is that when the spirit works, it's not in a way to condemn. And I want to clarify that today because all how the enemy will just rub that in your face and put you down and make you think you're such a terrible person. You can't do anything for the Lord Jesus, all et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when the Holy Spirit comes and he illuminates the thing, the wrongdoing inside of us to us and makes us aware, what happens is, is repentance follows. It leads us so that we might grow. It leads us to a path of personal purification. It leads us in a path that we might grow and become something more for the Lord Jesus. It's a process. It's a working of God's presence in us. And so he says here in John chapter 16, when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness and judgment about sin. He says, because they do not believe me. Why is the Holy Spirit going to reprove us of sin is because they do not believe in me. Jesus says the spirit is working in us to lead us to I want you to catch this today to belief. The spirit is working inside of us. He's going to teach us about sin. He's going to convict us of sin so that we might believe. The spirit wants us to know that God is savior, that Jesus came, died on a cross. As we said, all of those basics. So he shows us our sin. He reproves us of our sin so that we might believe we need a savior. If the Holy Spirit wasn't coming inside of us and showing us all the wrongdoing that is lurking beneath, then you and I could go very well with our lives thinking, I don't need Jesus. I'm satisfied with where I am. But when the Spirit comes and shows us our need for Jesus, then it leads us to repentance. Oh my goodness, I need a Savior. I need Jesus to forgive me. Secondly, he says this, he will come and he will reprove us about righteousness. And Jesus said, because I am going to the father and you will see me no longer. Though Jesus's earthly example, though Jesus is not physically present here right now, and we have no way to lay our eyes on him and understand what the true measure of righteousness looks like before us. The spirit has been sent to remind us, as Jesus said, about all the things that he taught us so that you and I would once again not be living without an example. Jesus is our example. So he comes to remind us of what righteousness really looks like. Righteousness is not what the pastor looks like. Righteousness is not what the brother or sister, they're not the measure of righteousness. Righteousness, the measure of righteousness is Jesus Christ. This is why Paul said to the believers in Ephesians, be imitators of Christ 
as dearly loved children. Because that is the measure of righteousness. Although we can't look and see Jesus right now, the Holy Spirit is working inside of us to remind us, to teach us, and show us what righteousness really looks like. Thirdly, the Spirit, Jesus said, He will come and reprove you about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. This is a hard one to tolerate for some of us here today. This is the reminder that God loves us so much. God loves us, just absolutely loves us. He loved us so much he sent his son. And he loved us even beyond that, that he sent his spirit. That though he is not physically present with us right now, that the message of the gospel would still be proclaimed to you and I. That even though we are 2,000 years removed from Jesus on the earth, the Holy Spirit is still reminding us of a future judgment. That the ruler of this world, he's not somebody's company you want to be in. He has already been condemned, Jesus said. And it's a reminder to us, the Spirit working in us, that you and I, as Jesus taught us, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account for the lives we lived. And it's the Spirit working and reminding us of all of that. Hallelujah. All of that to say this brings us back to Galatians chapter 5. Then how do I do it? How do I live every day for Jesus? The Bible says this so clearly, and I just want you to see the simplicity of this, is that walk in the Spirit. And watch what he said. And this, this sentence is intended to be together. This sentence is not intended to have a period after walk by the Spirit. This sentence is intended to be all together. Walk by the Spirit and a conjunction, bringing this all together, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul didn't say, walk by the Spirit and try harder and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul did not say, walk by the Spirit and establish a set of rules of righteousness and holiness and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What Paul is saying is that when you are filled with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, reproving us, convicting us, showing us our sin, then the result is this, like two plus two equals four, you and I walking with the Spirit equals not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That is all that it, Paul intended them to see. It doesn't mean that they need another set of rules. It doesn't mean to make this more complicated. It is this, is that living in relationship with the Holy Spirit, abiding in the Spirit, and God's Spirit abiding in us will live to a life that honors God. Not to a life that says, let me try harder tomorrow. That is futile. That will never accomplish anything. And the thing that you'll note about all of those legalistic points is that it shows us this, is that legalistic religion depends on the flesh. And spirit-filled religion depends on God in the power of His grace. And if you and I are going to live for the Lord Jesus, we have got to stop relying on our flesh and rely on the Holy Spirit to help us. So walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is no coincidence that Paul wrote about the spirit, the fruit of the spirit to the church in Galatians, in Galatia. 
because they were struggling. And you can read it throughout Galatians. That book is nothing about the law and grace, the law and grace. And Paul is trying to convince them about grace, but they're holding on to the law and all this back and forth, back and forth. And all that they were trying to do was achieve righteousness on their own measure and through their own accord instead of accepting God's grace as a free gift through Jesus. That's what God has intended for you and I. And any time that there is this, like, I've got to try harder to live better for the Lord. If I'll just plan to do this, this, and this, then it will end up in this. Listen, that's not what Jesus taught us. That's not what it, the Christian life is intended to be. The Bible said that the Holy Spirit has been promised to reprove us. To refine us, to go inside of us and, and make his home there. This is why I'm telling you today, is anybody home? Because when the Holy Spirit's home, when it's his house, when it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, what happens is, is a residence that used to occupy the flesh becomes demolished and God's Holy Spirit establishes a temple, a beautiful place. The temple was not a despicable place. It was not a place you looked at and said, oh, that's a, I don't want to look at that. No, the temple was beautiful. It was lovely. It was gorgeous. And so now God says, now that same temple, it's inside of you. It's working inside of you. And so spirit-filled living is this, is walking in the spirit. And those, that previous resident is no longer welcome. They've been evicted. And now the Holy Spirit has made his place there. And the thing is, it's an ongoing work. Oftentimes people get stuck in this. And they say, well, I, I gave my life to Jesus, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And, and that was great. And that's good. Thank God for that. But the Christian life. The life that God wants for you and the purpose he wants to accomplish through you and I is that we are going in process, an ongoing formation, an ongoing. Paul didn't say sit down with the spirit. Paul didn't say go ahead and just sit on a bench and take it easy for the rest of your life as a Christian. Paul said walk in the spirit. It requires a process. It means keep moving. Don't get settled in where you're at. It's a process. It is the Holy Spirit continuing to reprove us, continuing to refine us and making us like the image of Jesus Christ. The spirit makes us new people in God's image. And when the spirit is at work in us, we begin to bear the fruit of what Jesus looked like. Listen, you go through and read the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't some brand new concept. This was all the things that were marked in the life of Jesus. When Paul said, you can have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, etc. All of those things were markers of the life of Christ. And now Paul is saying, but that's not over. What Jesus lived on the earth, he wants to keep doing, but through you, living in you, working through you. And it is when the Holy Spirit comes and makes his residence there. This is why Paul went on to say in Galatians 5 and 25 that if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And this is where it is so hard for many American Christians today. Oh, it stumbles us. It causes us to trip. No pun intended there. It is to keep in step with the Spirit. Because listen, the Spirit's work is ongoing until the day you and I are with the Lord forevermore. And to keep in step, it's the work of the Holy Spirit continuing to refine us. But some of us, we don't want to keep in step. 
When the Holy Spirit is showing us our wrongdoing, we're content with just letting it go on and on and on. But when the Holy Spirit shows us and he reproves us and he brings it to the surface, that purpose is intended so that you and I may go on to the next step and go on to the next step and not get stuck in that one place. It's keeping in step with the Spirit. It's abiding in the Spirit, trusting in God. And so Paul shows them that we need the Holy Spirit. And so all of that to say this, what do we do now? How do you, how do you make that practically look like? And that's been the struggle with the, the church history is that they were trying to come up with a earthly way to accomplish a spiritual nature. But earthly means cannot accomplish a spiritual work. A spiritual work will accomplish a spiritual work. And that was what Paul was trying to show them is that you have to walk in the spirit. And so we go back to what Jesus said to them. As they were standing there together, they were talking. Jesus was talking about prayer. And then he says these words to them. So beautiful words as the musicians come. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the spirit to those who ask him? Jesus taught us to ask for the spirit. Peter also reiterated that and said, the Holy Spirit, it's a free gift for you and your children's children and their children and their children and to many generations as afar off. The point is this, is that living for Jesus, following Jesus, we can't do it in our own strength. None of us can. We need God's Holy Spirit to come and fill us, empower us. And then you and I, watch what happens you will not gratify. You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Because listen, you can't walk in the spirit and fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't walk in the spirit and do the lust of the flesh. They're either one's going to live there or not. The spirit or the flesh. Who is going to take residence in our home? And it's the question for us today. And it's not a question of the law. It's a question of the grace. Because God wants you and I to live as Galatians started off the chapter talking about. That we have this freedom in Jesus. Jesus had desired every person in this room here today. Every one of us here today. To be free from sin. And oh what a mangy painful thing sin is. Just comes up and binds us and constricts us like a, like a boa constrictor, just all the time, right when you think you've gotten loose, it comes back and strengthens its tie on us. But that's not how God intended you and I to live. He intended you and I to live free of the flesh, to live free of sin. But he didn't leave us without resources. He didn't leave us on our own. He gave us his Holy Spirit to come and live right inside of us to make his home, to let him set up that temple however he wants. And you and I say, thank you, Jesus. Make me more like you, Lord. And then the Holy Spirit says, and you remember that thing you said the other day? That's not like the Lord Jesus. Isn't that how the Holy Spirit works? He's so gentle, so kind. Even just, just in our daily going about lives, in a moment of rage or a moment of anger, we might say something. And then a couple of days later, when we're in the stillness of our times of day, the Holy Spirit says, you remember what you said the other day? It's all right. We all make mistakes. But that's not like Jesus. And then what happens is the Bible shows us, then we repent 
we say, yes, yes, Lord, you're right. That wasn't like you. Forgive me of that, that I might grow. It's a process. It's a day by day, week by week, month by month. And why would you settle for the joys? Why would you settle by living in a shallow Christian life, free from the bondage of sin, when you could live, uh, or when I should say bound by the bondage of sin, when you could live free, empowered by the Spirit, making a difference in our world? The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit. If you and I are going to make a difference in the world, it is not going to be by me trying harder tomorrow. That'll just make things worse. It's going to be when God's Spirit comes. And what you and I need in our lives every day is we need ongoing personal encounters with the Holy Spirit. Listen, the disciples, they understood Acts chapter 2 was not enough. They had to come back after preaching the gospel and realizing that fear began to settle in. And they realized they ran out of their own strength on their own. They realized that we forgot today that I can't do this without Jesus. And there they gathered once again, the Bible says, the same people that were in the upper room gathered once again, coming back to the Lord Jesus, saying, oh, how we need you. We're afraid. And God's spirit, God kept his word. God's spirit came and empowered them. And they preached the word of God with boldness. It comes down to this desire. What do you desire more? What is it that you and I desire more? Do I want to live in the flesh or do I want to walk in the spirit? What do we desire? If we want desire to walk in the spirit and ask God to give us his spirit, then what does Jesus have to do to say, you've asked me, then surely ask and you shall receive. Isn't that what God desires for all of us? This morning, can I ask you today, is anybody home? Is God's Spirit at home in you, working, refining, reproving? Listen, if we're going to make a difference in our world, oh, how we need God's Spirit. We need God's Spirit. The world needs to see Jesus, not me. They need to see the fruit that comes from the Spirit, not the fruit that comes from Charlie. That fruit will perish. It will rot tomorrow. But when the Spirit comes, oh, it points people back to Jesus so that they might see. Would you stand with me this morning? This morning, would you, in your own way today, you need God's Spirit this morning. You're like me today. Even, even this week, I had to just stop and say, Lord, oh God, forgive me. How I've been trying to do this on my own. I need you. I can't live for you. I need your Spirit. This morning, if that's you today, just you need God's spirit today you desire I want to walk in the spirit would you just come and stand here at the front that we can pray one for another just come and stand this morning it's nothing like being able to call on a brother or sister and say you know what I realize I need to be filled I need a renewal I need a fresh filling I can't do this on my own I need God's help today you're struggling with some besetting sin I want to tell you today you can try as hard as you want. It'll just keep coming back. But the moment you say, Lord Jesus, give me your spirit that I might walk in the spirit, you'll notice that that thing that has been besetting begins to be released and freedom comes in Jesus' name. So Lord, this morning we call upon you today. Lord, we can't live this life in our own measure. Oh God, we're just feeble, broken people. But Lord, you promise 
that when you came and made us new creations in Christ, that we've become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So now, Lord, we invite you, God, today to come fill us, that we might live every day for you, Lord, that tomorrow we might live for you, Lord, that, that the following day we might live for you, Lord. The thing that trips me up day by day, Lord, I don't want to be tripped up anymore. I want to walk in the Spirit, Lord. I want to walk filled by the Holy Spirit. Fresh power from on high, Lord, we pray today. Lord, we pray this morning that God renewal would come, strength would come, and that God, we might live for you with all of our heart today, Jesus, we pray. God, help us today that we might walk in the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh, Lord. Lord, help our minds to be free of any legalistic thinking or teaching that might be embedded in us, Lord. All of the rules and all the things we try so hard, but we will never be able to fulfill. Lord, free our minds from those things and instead teach us a dependency upon the Holy Spirit that we might live for you. Oh God, give us dependency upon the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need to be filled today. We need you, Jesus, Lord. Lord, spiritual gifts and wonders the Holy Spirit might do, but God, I believe the greatest work of it all is when we're made in the image of Jesus because what the world needs is less of us and more of Jesus. So come Holy Spirit, fill us today. Fill us Holy Spirit. We pray this morning that we might decrease and you might increase today, Jesus. Oh God, help us today to live for you, Lord. Help us, Jesus, to live this, mor this morning, this afternoon, tomorrow. God, may we live for you. tell them in your own way it starts with desire express your desire to the lord jesus i need you today holy spirit i need you today fill me today that i might live for you oh how i need you jesus i can't do it in my own strength i can't do it lord i can't oh but god your holy spirit can give me the victory oh your holy spirit can give me empowering oh god we thank you today jesus